Hey everyone, welcome to Two Rivers, Two Takes, where we are reviewing episode six of this season of Wheel of Time. I'm Daryl. And I'm Philip. I can't believe that we're already in episode six. It's mind-boggling to think that we're 75% of the way through and where they're at plot-wise and we were even having a discussion of like how much can they possibly fit into the next two episodes. But after today's episode, clearly they can fit in a lot because this episode was so good and so jam-packed of all the things. There were really good plot beats that happened in this episode. There were also really good character development moments. Yes. And when previously we were going to change up our format a little to in instead of doing a full episode recap, sort of like our inspiration, The Greatest Generation, does, uh, we're going to stick to this is plot A, this is plot B. But this episode breaks that mold on us because we're basically following Moraine through the machinations of Tar Valon and all of her plots. And there, there's so basically good. plot A, and that's it. And it's Moraine. <laughs> yes. So uh, we really get to see her as a character, which I'm so happy about. She's my favorite of this TV series, and she's my favorite in the books. So it's so cool to see an episode centered on her, but it, it doesn't sacrifice plot for her character development. And there's so much in the episode, like all the details for all the longtime nerds like me, but it's just advancing plot lines and it's bringing all these loose threads together again into a pattern, perhaps. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And yeah, everything with the Amarillin, with Tower Politics, you still get fun little moments like Alana, which we'll get to shortly. But yeah. I really like this episode. I, I know we were a little bit ambivalent about the previous episode, but Parmi had the sneaking suspicion that the sort of slower ones are always followed by a great episode. And I think that's what happened here. Yeah, and if that is the sacrifice, I mean, it was a good episode last week, but it was just an episode. It wasn't anything really mind-blowing. It didn't really give me anything to grasp onto and say, this is my favorite moment. This episode itself is a favorite moment of yes. the season. So um, I think it's competing for favorite episode of the season for me so far. Ooh. And previously, I think that was episode four. Um, okay. It, or was it three? One of the earlier ones um, where maybe it was episode three where we couldn't wait to watch it again. So this mm. this has a lot going on. So let's dive into it. Yeah. So we get a general recap of all the things that have happened with the five, leaving the two rivers, with Loghain, um, with Valda, there being wolves, Egwene stabbing Valda, which will never get old, and sort of this lingering question through these, this previous snapshot, is Moraine really trustworthy? And I think that's sort of like the big question in this episode, and we get an some mixed reviews, but an overall answer of yes. So, 
the episode starts with a Suwan flashback. And now I'm saying it correctly because I was always guessing how to pronounce her name. Which, to be fair, I pointed out, it's in the glossary of the books. Um, so... Look there, at you. <laughs> but, but just like we discussed heading into the season, they don't have nine names <laughs> pronunciation in the glossary. It's so weird. But anyway, they do have the Amberlynn's name back there. And we know it's her because in the trailers, it's shown that this is the Amberlynn seat with the Terran tattoos. And when the flashback starts and there's a young woman sleeping in a hammock, it's her because of those tattoos. So she, it's a morning with her father. They're going fishing. She uses the one power to help him untangle knots as he has lost a hand. And you get this great moment of, on one hand, caution. A wise woman knows the strength of her line and when not to pull it too hard. But also, he notices that she's growing stronger because she wasn't able to do that a week ago. Um, and it's these nice, touching moments. There's a little bit of swearing, which is on brand for uh, Suwan. She sort of goes back and forth between very formal Amarillo seat and swears like a sailor, a fisher person family. And in the background, there's the Stone of Tear. Which yeah. Was, which was fun. Like, the landmark in the South, the Stone of Tear. Yes, and uh, I feel in future seasons we will definitely be seeing more of that and more of the culture of where she comes from. Yes, because what we get is that they fear and sort of revile the power and people who wield it, which is sort of ironic considering the stone was created using the power and pulling stones and dust from all over the earth, basically, or their corner of the earth to create this monstrous fortress. But when they come back from the fishing, Suwan and her father find their house burned with a dragon fang sort of glowing in embers almost. It, it was a well-done effect where you can still see the sinuous lines of the ominous dragon fang. Which, why is that drawn? It's basically evil. It, it, or saying, like, you are marked as evil for doing whatever. So it's the equivalent of, like, the Middle Ages and drawing, like, the evil eye. Yes, sure. Or in Muppet Treasure Island, the captain getting the black spot. Okay. <laughs> uh, just to bring it back to Muppet uh, relevancy, because that's almost always my frame of reference. But in even in the books, when they're in the two rivers and the Thatcher Senbui is like, oh, I want to draw the dragon fang on someone's door. And then the other people are just like, don't you dare. Why would you bring that evil down on whoever? Stop being a suspicious, crabby old man. Mm. So that's sort of the, like the folksy you bear the sign of evil, get out of here. Um, so we sort of end this flashback with her going upriver, this touching moment between her and her father where she gets these names, or she, she reinforces these names, Daughter of the River, Clever as a Pike, Strong as the Tide. And... I don't know, it was just really nice, and it also reinforces a sort of motif of once you're touched by the power, 
can, can you ever go home again? Another question from this episode, and we get sort of a resounding answer on it. So. Yeah, I, uh, at this point, wondered, so their house is burned, there is nothing left there, and she's taking their only boat. Why didn't her dad go with her to be a fisherman in Tarvalon? Because Tarvalon has people from all over this world living there. It's it's a very multicultural society sort of thing where there if someone is from another land, it's not out of place. It's not a sense of otherness. So that's why uh, I'm like, well, he could have at least been in the city and been near her while she was training. She may not have had the means, or they may not have had the means. Even Rand said, like, in a major city like that, an inn was super expensive. Mm. And he had lost a hand, so he may not feel he has much to contribute in that way. Rather, at home, he can still possibly find someone to work with and sort of make ends meet in that sense. Um, In the books, they have sort of the sense that it's sometimes painful for Aya Sedai, who whose aging goes much slower than regular people. So it's not often that they have items from their family. One does. Um, I think she's a red because her family was killed by dark fiends and so she had little figurines made. But someone else makes a reference to, like, it's just hard seeing... Most, I said I don't have children because it's painful to watch them grow old and die while you are still looking like you're just in your 40s. Mm-hmm. And you still have hundreds of years left of life. Yeah. <laughs> then we go to the intro that I love so much because it's so good. We find out it's directed again by Sally uh, Richardson Whitfield, which is awesome. And yeah, we open to the hall. People are looking a little like they just got sent to the principal's office, which in this case they did, but also times 10. <laughs> so we have Leandra and Moraine and Alana there in front of all the sitters. And Leanne, who is a fun character, um, she has her, her staff, she bangs on the floor, she, she comes, the wielder of the flame of Tarvalon, the Amaranth seat approaches. You get this very pomp and circumstance thing. Yeah, she sort of uh, swans her way in and flourishes her great train and sits in her throne. It's so, like, I just love how Leandra and Alana and Moraine are so uncomfortable in this. Um, like, they just know that they're in trouble. And first item of business is Loghain, who goes off on a little bit. Yeah, he has some thoughts and feelings. He does. And it's just such a power move that she says, like, he's gentle. He poses no risk. He doesn't need to belong. He doesn't need shackles. We don't need him chained up. He is the least powerful, like, there's no danger coming from this man that we cannot handle Mm -hmm. in the situation. Um, He also drops some info that, like, a hundred years ago, if a man tried to be the dragon, people would have just, like, dealt with him immediately rather than rallied to him. And he's taken that as a sign that the White power, white Tower's influence is waning across mm. the world. And we know that there's gold cloaks running around 
especially in Amadisia. We know Terrans don't like them. There are not a lot of countries in the West and in the South who particularly enjoy Aes Sedai. Mm. Main being a counterpoint to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he goes off and she's like, no, you are to be kept here, to be a kept man, essentially, mm-hmm. to be studied, to serve as an example so that other people can see. And then she sort of, I don't know, is the big dog in the right term here? Like, she goes off on, it is her world. Like, this is her call to make these judgments. Yeah, she really doesn't care about his editorializing, where he's going off and he's like, I uh, gathered my forces because they were attacking you. They were not attacking the Amarlin seat. It's you that they do not like. And I was able to use your name, and that's what they rallied to. It wasn't that I was attacking all the Aes Sedai. It was specifically your leadership. Oh. Which, and then she just does not care in the least. She's like, whatever. Like, enjoy your time with the Browns just staring at you and writing notes for the rest of your life until this madness takes you. Girl, bye. And she makes it clear that he will not be killed by them, even though that's what sort of he wants. Like, he knows what his fate is, and he's not looking forward to it. Yeah. So he's dragged from the hall, and then we get to our main event. Uh, it's this slow step forward, like, after the Amalyn says step forward, and they just take a moment to be like, who's going to go first? And then they all do. And... Leandrin sort of makes an appeal to the Red Sitters who are sitting close to the Amarillin as, as she goes off on why they had to shield gentle Loghain. But, oh, she knows she done fucked up. Yeah, yeah, she does. And even when Alana speaks on Leandrin's behalf, like, there's a blue that's just like, what is happening? Yeah. Megan, the one of the blue sitters. And... Maureen looks at Alana and is just like, why did you do that? Why are you backing me into this corner where I need to say something to defend Leandrin? Mm -hmm. We don't even like her. No, we really don't. And Amalyn comes down hard on Leandrin, who is just bristling. And Amalyn's like, oh, do you have something else you would like to say? (laughs) And so Leandrin goes off on whole thing about Maureen. She has flitted from the tower for the past 20 years. What is she even doing? She's not even doing her job if she's supposed to protect us from threats. That the Red Sea, the Blues, as collecting secrets to guard the tower, which is slightly different than I had thought. I always thought Blues were more involved in, like, politics and causes and Mm -hmm. things like that. But she sort of calls Maureen out in front of all the sitters, and, in front of the Amarlin. And Moraine is muttering under her breath, and she's like, excuse me, did you did you say something? Do you, <laughs> do you have something to add here? <laughs> Leandrin, so evil in this, like, I'm sorry, what did you say? Like, <laughs> oh. And she, I mean, honestly, what a perfect villain we have in Leandrin. Yes. I just... There is no way that you can really like her. 
I sort of wonder if she will also stand in for Elada when so a character later in the books. But I wonder who's if, also a red. Who's also a red. So if, I wonder if they're going to give some of that stuff to Leandra now that she's here and more established in season one. Mm-hmm. And oh, Leandra's being so shady, and even calls out like, "Oh, mother!" as everyone addresses the Amarilancita's mother, and she addresses everyone as child, regardless of the age situation. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Oh, is." Mother going easy on Moraine because Mother was also once a blue. And people are aghast that Leandrin had the nerve to bring up uh, the Amarillans past Aja. Like, that's just not done. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. Right. And they did do... To help reinforce this idea that the Amarillans can't have favorites among the Ajas, they give Suan a, a throwaway line of dialogue later on. And they also don't have a blue stole for Leanne. Because normally the Keeper of the Chronicles wears a stole the color of the Aja that the Amarillan was raised from. And that she was. So you get a pair, basically. Yeah, because no one's going to name a Chronicle from outside their Aja. Right. And the Amarillan herself is also, also supposed to wear a stole. But we just get, like, this little... Um, not, it's not a collar. It's like the... It's the lining. The it's lining of the, a dress. Yes, it's the lining of the dress that's then turned out at the neck. And it's, it's striped in each color of the ajas. And, like, it's a nice token, sort of, but... Uh, well, if you're thinking about it... It also goes it, with the dress. <laughs> it does. But visually, it would look... If you have someone wandering around with a rainbow stole... That would look real weird visually. In the books, the way it's described, you're like, okay, I can go with the flow. If you're watching a show and this person is just wearing this stole all the time, you're like, what? what's going on? Is this gay rights? Which we'll get to. I mean, we're, we're almost there in the episode, but um, the Amberlin does say yes to gay rights. And the one's ima- someone's imagination might be kinder than that person might otherwise be to someone in the costuming department as to like, how did you create this? Because let's be real. If four of your colors are white, gray, yellow, and brown, mm. like it's hard to make that aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. But you can imagine something that looks good and you're like, okay, imagination, that's fine. And then seeing what someone else had done with it and had created it, it might be more difficult. Mm-hmm. So... The Amarillan comes down hard on Moraine. She's asking, what are you doing? And Moraine can't say. And... Yeah, she says, you don't, you can't, or you won't. Which is a... a, Which is a thing with the three O's. Like, as part of the cannot say a word that's not true, and ASDI can never break a promise or an oath. So... We sort of built in that Maureen's mission out in the world sort of centers on like an oath that she had given. Like, mm. this is your mission. I swear to see it fulfilled or whatever. And if someone calls that out, she literally, physically cannot say what it was. Yeah. And she has this moment, like, clearly she has this moment because she sort of panics as to like, how can I talk my way out of this? I can't. Like, there. My body cannot form words because of the three oaths um, and that fulfillment piece. And so she sort of panics. It's like, I can't say. And the Amelin just 
goes off. She even uses Moraine's previous identity as Lady Moraine Damadred of Carakian. Mm -hmm. And the hall is just like, what? A blue sitter, like, grasps the armrests of her chair and is, like, visibly uncomfortable. Because... But context later, and in, in the books, one of the tests, to become an ASDI is sort of like washing away who you were. And so to bring up this identity and sort of flaunt it, like... Like throw it in her face. Like, oh, you're such a highborn lady, you think that you can get away with everything. Yeah. It was clearly so uncomfortable for all the sitters who were there, especially that blue on the left. Yeah. But, um... And Maureen is, like, prostrate, kissing the floor, basically, in front of the Amarillin. So, And what was Leandrin's punishment? We never find out. Oh. She was, the mother was going to think on it and will render judgment the next day. But when it comes to the next day, we only see Maureen's. So. Yeah, I. After this experience, Maureen needs some tea. Yes, which just looks like hot water. I mean, maybe a little honey. Maybe she's like Mariah. She needs to warm up the vocal cords, preparing for what's to come. And if you... Girl, if you're going to pour that high, you know it's going to splatter all over creation. Yeah, and also she sips it right away. So maybe she has some ASDI magic where the roof (laughs) of her mouth isn't burned. Um, Because when I pour tea, it sits for like 20 minutes in a mug. And then I start sipping it. Same with me and coffee. But yes. And she's found them. She, We see that Nynaeve and Loyal are leaving um, behind her. And Lan comes in and is just like, it's time. And she goes and confronts Matt and Rand. Rand, who on brand is still a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of all the characters and who we've seen developed and who we see develop by the end of this episode, I'd say that Rand is one of the most two-dimensional people. Yes. We, there's not a whole lot of depth there. Um, so it's interesting to see how they're... He's still in contention as one of the dragons, and we probably care about him the least right now because there aren't many stakes attached to him. He's just a farmer, a shepherd, dude, tagging along for the adventure and making better decisions than Matt. Sometimes. Yes. Drawing a sword on an ASDI is maybe not his shining moment. True. <laughs> look at your life, look at your choices. Yes. Lan easily brushes him aside. And we, when she approaches Matt and he brandishes the dagger, like, she's very fast. Like, finally we get some of the speed in channeling where she just snaps him down with air. She takes the dagger. And in such a righteous moment, good for her. She's like, oh, you stupid boy. Mm. You, t- <laughs> you took this from Shadar Logoth, like... What were you possibly thinking? Yeah, because Lan told them. Yeah. Basically, don't touch anything. Not not just don't take, like, you really don't want to interact with this environment. I mean, she may have been super feverish, maybe unconscious in, yeah. that, in that moment, but 
Land pretty much said, like, there's no stone in this city that is not corrupted by the evil of Aridol. Yeah. Again, not the same as the Dark One's evil. But... Yeah, and she... that's why he was the Wolfhead of the Week that week for me. Because, what a dumb move. And I'm glad that I'm on the same page as Moraine. Yes. And in a deviation from the book, but it's still awesome, she deals with some of the evil, restoring Matt to himself. She sort of pulls the yucky gunk out of him. It travels up her flows. Gets on her mouth, which girl. Yuck. Yeah. But then it seemed, instead of going into her, it seemed to me that it was she was pushing it back into the dagger. But Rand later says, like, you took on that evil. So I don't know if that took, he, he means you took it on like you battled it, or you I took think... it on like you were carrying it yourself. I don't, think, in the ring. I don't think it's that, because he could have seen it. The way I interpreted that line is, he's like, you took that on um, and drew it out. But he could have seen it go into the dagger again. If he saw it go to her, he would have seen what she did with it. Yeah, like it tried to go in and she was like, no, no, no. Yep, she's like, I'm spitting this out right now because it's yucky. Yes. Um, so that was sort of my question for that moment. Um, you get a nice moment where before she even enters the room where she's talking to the innkeeper and she's like, don't come in here regardless of what you hear. And he's just like, yep, okay, leaving. Yeah. And skedaddles. Like, Tarvalon is the city where Aesodai are obeyed. Mm-hmm. Like, they all have those shirts that says she who must be obeyed. <laughs> so then... Loyal and Nynaeve come in um, as Rand and Moraine were talking on the balcony. They had this sort of reconciliation moment. Loyal, love him. And Moraine is just like, builder! And <laughs> bows to him. Like, that's a nice touch to sort of establish the Ogier as definitely not monsters. Like, mm -hmm. Danny's, I think the show might have needed to draw line between Ogier and Trollocs and so this deference might be a mechanism for the way for them to tell people and inform them these are very very different mm -hmm. so that was nice also she dressed down Nynaeve like why didn't you tell me when you saw how bad Matt was like clearly you can't herbal supplement your way out of this yeah you needed to contact us and you didn't yeah so maybe not Nine's best moment. Yeah. But she doesn't trust Aesodai, so like you sort of get it. Yep. Yeah, you know the motivation behind it, but still, she I'm glad that Moraine took a moment to be like, you were also dumb. Yeah. In that moment. She had a more mentory moment with Egwene in while they were traveling in episode two, where they're sort of like, these are the three O's, words are important, like you'll see. As you develop, and sort of the subtext there was once you're an ASDI, you will understand mm -hmm. consequences and how to use your words and everything. Um, and then this was much more blunt, like not altogether unkind, but blunt of like, use your brain. Yeah. So, so then we are still following Moraine. This time she's in a bath. She needed it. Or she earned it. Yeah. She, and she basically said that, too. Yeah. The blue sitter from before comes in, and she's like, why can't we have a meeting like everyone else? 
<laughs> and Maureen is just like, I've been on the road. Let me have this. Yeah. Well earned. And we get sort of the more insight into how an Aja works that the blues have this information network. Is it Mygon's personal? Is it just the blue general one? Unclear, but they have it and it's improved. So points from Megan for doing that. And we get our first Sean Chan reference with ships disappearing. Yeah, ships disappearing in the West. Yeah, it's... I hate the Sean Chan. Which this, like we saw two episodes ago, um, where we finally saw the outcome of them talking in a tavern in the first episode about Gildan. And there's a war in Gildan, and then we saw that payoff. Right. This... I feel these little throwaway lines really bear fruit down the line. Yeah, they're, I mean, a significant part of the second book, The Great Hunt, and also later on, um, they become a major thing. I'm trying to avoid spoilers, mm -hmm. but... But the, the writers are very intentional with their choices. Every line in this show somehow contributes. Yes, yes. Um, there is not just, oh, we need a couple filler lines where these people are gossiping. Um, they weren't gossiping in the tavern. Well, they were, but that was something that would matter in the show. Just like these toss away lines right now where she's like, oh, there's so much going on that we're going to see this later on in the show. Yeah. Not in this season. No, there's only two episodes left. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so much to cover. Yeah. But Exactly, like they're planting little seeds and then those seeds bear fruit later. Yep. It's so good. Yeah, the writing is very tight in that regard. So we get this nice moment of sort of the tower politics, where things are at, how Suwan is seen by other people outside the hall. And it's nice to get some sort of sense of what sitters do. Like they're not just there to look colorful in this very great room like as a sitter Megan can appeal to the Amarillo seat get some degree of clemency happening but also she has the power to sort of direct underlings within the Aja so when she says to Moraine like you're needed here we're, we're, we're pulling you from the field essentially mm -hmm. and Moraine's just like what <laughs> oh okay for what purpose and it's, I don't know, it's good. You sort of get that hierarchy and the politics and how much depth there is to this place. Yeah, there's obviously a lot going on in the tower. And the situation has changed in just the two years she's been gone. There's, yeah. There are seismic shifts happening in the tower politics. And Megan even calls out this little yellow flower that was folded into Moraine's towels as a way of saying, hey, a yellow needs to get a hold of you. She's like, oh, what other secrets do you have? Har, har, har. And Moraine is just like, I want to twiddle this. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Everything's fine. But we find that the yellows have contacted Moraine to let them know that they have found Egwene and Perrin in a nice moment. But the moment is somehow tarnished a little. Egwene is like, any sign of the others, and Moraine is like, I have watchers. So 
So not an untrue statement, but not the entire situation. Yeah. And for that overarching question of can Maureen be trusted as we follow her through all of this? Normally the answer would be absolutely yes, but this is enough to give one pause. That's to be like, wait, what? Yeah, she she's holding off that reunion for a purpose, for her own purposes. Yes. And we get a very succinct, like, points for the writers for making this feel very natural, but also it's very dense of information for Egwene to fill Moraine in on what had happened to them. Like, Tinker's not, not necessarily worth mentioning, but the White Cloaks returning the Great Serpent Rings and the fact that Perrin has some sort of connection to the wolves. Like, they don't have a name for a wolf brother yet. Mm -hmm. I think that comes from Elias. I think it does. And This we, character that we... We probably won't see at this point. No. That window has closed. Yeah. Which is fine. But when Maureen... She shuts that down fast. She's like, do not tell anyone about this. Because there are people who will do him harm. And that ties in with the context that Elias gives us in the books. Where he was basically studied by a bunch of browns. And it was not a pleasant experience. Because they... This wolf brother aspect predates the Age of Legends even. So the A said I had no context for what it was. They poked and they prodded and they studied and he basically had to escape from them. And you get that in the books and then for the show the, the urgency by which Maureen shuts down that context I think speaks to the level of like don't tell anyone. <laughs> like, yeah. Bad things will happen. Um, yeah. There's also a nice moment when Egwene returns the rings. Like, you can... T Rosamund Pike does such a good job of subtlety in this entire show. In this episode in particular, as, like, the cream of the crop. Mm -hmm. Very macho man moment. <laughs> um, but the way that she sort of reverently gathers the rings that Egwene has handed her, there's all these subtle sort of, like, nonverbal indicators that this is really significant mm -hmm. like good job this means a lot to have my sister's rings returned so that was nice we return to Moraine in mm -hmm. her quarters again super stark makes sense for being out of the tower for so long it's like the bare minimum that's there and Lana's like why did you mask this bond so it's nice to know, like, we to get more depth into the ASDI bond, where you can sort of hide your thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. from the person who holds your bond. And it was nice to add that in in a very natural way of, like, this is a release for you, like, it's been a long time, like, enjoy this freedom from this connection that we have. Mm -hmm. And then she travels, or something. Yeah, so we finally see what the little picture is. On the wall, we were wondering that at the end of the last episode, what is this thing? Um, and it's some sort of angriel, terangriel. Terangriel is our working theory that because it's in the books, it's such a big point that they make that so much information, so many skills have been lost since the Age of Legends in the breaking of the world, and traveling was one of those skills that was lost. Like you creating this portal to just walk through to someplace else, which if that was in real life, like 
would love. That's yeah. partly why I daydream about having these powers so much since high school, since I read these books. It's like, that would be super fantastic. And uh, there are so many of these things, like, basically in the Aes Sedai basement. Like, they just chucked them on shelves because they don't know what they are anymore. Yeah. And because sometimes even experimenting and channeling a little can kill someone or still them. So we yeah. see this little picture that she channels into. Like a glow. So that's yes. why we think it's a turn angry where it's a artifact of power where you do something to it and it does something else. So by putting these weaves in, it creates a gateway. And it looks like they're in terror. It looks like they're in a hut. It's definitely a more tropical environment. Like um, the same style as Suan's house from the flashback yes. is what we get in Where Moraine Goes. Yes. And, and she meets Suan, and they are clearly not enemies. No. Like that whole show in the hall, and what they've built up over the past 20 years of animosity, where even when they get to the ASDI camp, and um, Courtney is like, oh, the Amarillo is not a fan of yours. They created this fiction, and it's so good. And then when you see them together, it's just like, oh, hey, friend. Yeah. It was such a nice moment. It was. And they get to catch up. Um, we know that they haven't seen each other or spent time with each other since Moraine left. It's been two years since they really were able to let their guards down and be together. And who knows how long that stint was two years ago. Like, it's been 20 years, basically, of... Her searching the world for the yep. dragon without to anyone knowing what it is that she's doing exactly. And Suan is practicing her knots. We find out they're in cahoots. They're searching for the dragon. So what, And Mar there's some lady love. Yes. Um, and I want to get to that. But before... So the setup really is that they both heard this prophecy and were sworn to secrecy. Yes. And Moraine is the one who has to do the field work. She's running all over the earth trying to figure this out while Sawan is consolidating power in order to, to make sure that, that, yes, to make sure that this is successful. So uh, that's why they've been apart. They can't work together even though they are, we think, the only two that really know anything about this right now. Um, and they reference that where if anyone else knew what they were doing, they would both be stilled immediately. And they were also the only ones who knew about Guitara's vision, the sort of the moment that the dragon was born on Dragon Mount. And in the books, it's set up like basically just like that. The one exception is that the old Amerlin was there, and she's the one who sends these two on the mission. And I think they were just accepted or, like, newly raised to the shawl, but they were basically attending the old Amerlin, and Guitara was her, the old Amerlin's keeper. And it was in the middle of that one war, the Aeol War. Yes. Um, so there was a battle raging on the Dragon Mount, which is the mountain you can see from Tarvalon. Yes. So it was wartime, and a lot of the sisters were preoccupied with the war effort, and it was like a dark and stormy night when... Um, only those four people were in the chambers at one time. Yes. And in this, in the TV version, it's only Suwan and Moraine and Gatara. And it's unclear if Gatara survived the vision. She did not survive it in the book. Um, but she did. It's left open. 
I would assume that she did not also in the TV series. Yeah. Otherwise, that would have been another major secret to try and keep. Mm-hmm. And if you had ulterior motives and you knew that there was a woman with the foretelling in the tower, like, you would want to be fake best friends with that person. Yeah. And get as much info out of them from their ability as possible. Yeah. And to talk about their relationship, I'm going to be a Sour Patch Kid. Oh, no. I'm going to be sour and then sweet. Um, The relationship between Swan and Moraine, I feel is our CW moment of the week <laughs> where there is a romantic plot line. Just like we have Egwene and Rand doing the dirty in episode one, and I thought it was super unnecessary in terms of their relationship. You don't really need it. I didn't really need them to be in love in this episode, to believe that they were close and on a mission together and basically in it until the end. Um, that they have this tight sisterhood. The way I read it in the books the first time around, and I haven't really reached a whole lot of their interactions um, in my second try at reading all of the books, um, I knew that they were BFFs and hung out a lot, and that was it. Um, That being said, that I think that the relationship is unnecessary, I feel that the representation of a lesbian relationship on the screen that is between two very powerful women in their own right, um, and one of those women being a person of color, this sort of relationship and it being visible in what Amazon is still touting as the number one streaming show in the world, that's really important. I think that showing and normalizing such a relationship, because it's not something that they're like, this is so weird, it's so outside the norm to have two women love each other. It was just like, nope, they're together, and they um, talk about business matters, then they hang out, and um, are romantic with one another. It, It was very seamless. It wasn't necessarily something that um it wasn't dropped in where you can see the insertion lines sort of yes um there is the subtext i feel that their relationship is hidden so um it's not like an out relationship definitely for politic reasons in this regard um but there is sort of that that line that oh it no one knows about it Um, so it could still be perceived as something that's taboo, but I feel with the tavern... That's established enough that they can't be seen being even remotely friendly with each other because of politic reasons and what's happening in the tower. Like, it's not out... You can't be out in this relationship because of the fact that you're queer. It's you can't be out because of the implications for your mission and her mission and what you're trying to do together. Which is really kind of tragic. Yeah. For them as people, not as Aes Sedai, but just as people. Right. It really sucks for Moraine and Swan as two women that they can't be with the person that they love because of uh, their overall commitment to their job. Their mission. Yeah. yeah. The I missed it in the books, too. I was reading an interview um, 
where they talk about sort of the casting of the Amarillin and how the showrunner and Rosamund Pike were just like, this person. They both reached that conclusion independently and were like, yes. Um, and they talk about how in the book the sort of pillow friends and that sort of term is used. But I only remember that term being used for like a seafolk woman and a Karahine and noble woman who were pillow friends. And it was sort of gossip around that castle, which sort of stunk. Um, but who knows, maybe not yet out to myself, high school version of me, probably glossed over it maybe intentionally. Mm. Or, oh, how can this relationship be a thing? Which, thankfully, I'm out now. But. Yeah, so uh, they uh, um, basically come up with the next step in what they need to do. And yeah, they pull their information, which, thank goodness... People are doing that in shows because it's my greatest annoyance when they're like, when they I have all this information, I'm not going to tell the person who really needs to know it. Like, they know how important this is, they put everything out on the table. Or it's and the, the lack of information, to some extent, like Maureen feels like she doesn't know more than she did when she started, or she even knows less, because there's so much telling and retelling, translating, translating again of even the dragon prophecies, how the dragon is seen out in the world, that it's entirely possible that instead of one dragon, it's this, the dragon's soul is woven out into five different people all at the same time. And it's just a cool idea, and I like that it's so confounding for them on this super important mission to basically save the world from the Dark One. Mm -hmm. And we know the stakes are so high that... Moraine is not willing to let the Dark One win to the point where she will kill whoever it Isn't. is. Isn't. Yeah, or whoever is in the dragon in case the dragon tried to join the Dark One. Yes, um, but also where they're talking about where Swan is like, okay, you got these five yokels, which one is it? And she's like, I'm not sure. And then she's like, well, I, I'll take, take them. Take I, all of them. I'm taking all of them. And Swan's like, but you realize that the other four will probably die. Moran's like, yeah, but we we have to be willing to make that sacrifice. I got I thought it was switched where No Moran is like, I don't know. And Suan says or she, so Moraine takes all five. Yes, but this mission possibly kill whoever is not the dragon. And Suwan is the one who has the hope of it may not kill the bystanders. Right. So but she's more hopeful than Moraine is. Moraine is like, it'll be certain death for yes. whoever it isn't. Yes. And, uh, sorry, pronouns. That's what I meant. Oh, okay. By she. That, yeah, Moraine's like, it is what it is. Like, <laughs> oops. <laughs> Might kill four people. But hey... If we're gonna defeats, we're gonna it, figure out which one's the dragon, aren't we? And well, she knows that they can't lose; they cannot let the dark one win. So right. even if somehow the dark one seduces the dragon over to their side, like Maureen will not let that happen in any way. And they're really they're going to the eye of the world, which yeah. is a book title, ding ding, book one. And it's a retcon of sorts. I'm I'm hopeful for how they do it. Where they can still remain true to the book. And the eye of the world is like, it's nice. 
one and the blight and guarded by the green man the last of the nim the last of his species that we ever know of in the books and i think they can still retain that even though that everyone thinks that the eye of the world is the dark one's prison mm-hmm. where if they just think that it is because no one's been there and no one knows better so they can still show up and be surprised by the green man and the garden and the eye without and being like oh the eye of the world is not what we thought it was it just was not the dark one's prison yeah so they're going hard they are all going up as a merry band to confront the dark one yep at his prison while he's still weak sort of this make hay while the sun shines Mm-hmm. but in a defeat the dark one sort of way yes and they find out that about this because the amulet has had the same dream for a month so it's not quite the same like breadcrumbs all slowly pointing moraine at the eye of the world that we get in the books it's one bell swoop of this is where it's happening i can't stop having this dream like that's the pattern telling yep. us where to go at least we know that our main characters aren't the only ones having nightmare about this dude with flames for eyes it's... and a mouth and whatever. Like, there are flames. Flames everywhere. Flames on the side of his face. Breathing, breath, heaving, breathing. We don't, I don't get the sense that the ambulance dreams are sent by the Dark One, though. Like, the mm. one flashbacks that we've gotten with the other's dreams is that Ishamiel is... Or the Dark One. The Dark One is in control of those dreams. And He's directing it to them. them yes. And is like trying to suss out information about them through these dreams. And this just seemed like the Amulet has just been having this dream for a whole month. It's not necessarily sent by anyone. It has To me, it has a different feel. Because I don't think the Dark One cares about her. No. Sorry. What? Okay. Okay. So we have this relationship. We get... This big reveal that they're in cahoots. I think it's fantastic. And we get this information dump between the two of them. Yes. So they can finally compare notes because yes. they've both been working on aspects of it. And the sort of aspect that Suan's position is precarious. Like, it, you get a little bit of that with Megan in the bath. And we get a little bit of that through previous dialogue and with Loghain. But... Or Suwan herself to say, like, I'm on a knife's edge here is pretty significant. Yeah. So, and it might also be one of those seeds that gets planted for later. Yeah. And it's not to spoil things. Yeah. Um, I, if I were Marine, I wouldn't want to hang out in the tower. It seems like a very toxic workplace. <laughs> it absolutely is. Because the next morning we get. Moraine and Lan talking in a hallway, and Leandrin is right there, being like, oh, oh, is that Matt? And Rand, is that the name of the other one? Are they all from the two rivers? And so, like, she's sort of goading Moraine, and Moraine comes down hard. She's like, I know about your man in North Harbor. If you don't want your red sisters to know about him, you will drop this. And Leandrin is just sort of left standing in the hallway, like, in her ruin she tried to she tried this play yeah into in what we now know as leandrin fashion she makes a play too heavy-handed and gets smacked down 
Yeah, I mean, good for Leandrin for getting hers, though, for having a little boy toy in the harbor. <laughs> and Moraine takes baths to, uh, you know, uh, relax after a hard mission, and Leandrin has uh, her own way of relaxing. But a secret thing. Yes, a secret way, and the Reds would definitely just, like, massacre this dude. It, they would not be nice. He would lose fingers or maybe something else. Mm, remember, they can't use the power as a weapon. They, they they're would... not using the power. They're using some knives. I don't think they'd come down that hard. I think they would. Leandrin would lose all sorts of status in the tower. Mm -hmm. Like, all sorts. Like, there's no way she'd be taken seriously after that. And that gentleman would be sent elsewhere in the world. Like, maybe with some more money than he had in the first place, but there's no way that he would ever be able to see her again. Mm -hmm. Or she would be able to see him, is how I could see that going. So, she shuts Leandrin down hard. And then immediately goes to the balcony to talk with Loyal. And to some extent, there's a little bit of desperation, but it's not all that evident. Like, we see Maureen be more urgent than we've seen her in the past. But she also comes as full disclosure with Loyal of, there's a crisis. There is a solution, but we need your help to make that solution work. And it's a nice, I've liked it. It's nice to see that deference shown to Loyal again as a builder and the respect that Ogier have, especially from an Aesodai that who are sort of the top of the human pecking order, but in the world, for them to show deference to someone is a big deal. Yeah, it is. So it's it's nice. And we still get some personality from Loyal, just like, everything is so hasty. I wasn't exactly given a choice for showing up here. <laughs> yeah, so we Beside see... Side-eye at land. Moraine is setting up what's to come. She knows that she's facing judgment soon, and she is setting everything up, and is ready to push that first domino. And she needs a way out she needs a way to travel long distances quickly. So, through the books, you're like, the ways! Major plot thing in book one, Ogier know how to operate the ways, basically. So that's why she needs oil. Then we get Moraine and Egwene together in the tower. Moraine says, you've been requested to see the Amulet seat. But also, here's thy knave! What a miraculous surprise! <laughs> So it is really nice that Egwene gets that. I do. I, I may have made Daryl rewind and turn up the volume to figure out what Nene was saying as she and Lan entered. Was it about the grays? Something about mud and dirt? Yeah. And how he'd be a leader? Who knows? But they had this touching reunion and this great line from Moraine that the Amaryland waits for only one woman and you are not her. And now we can be like, Har har har, we get who that is. And this is where I really caught on to the genius of this episode. And sort of the genius of Moraine is that she is bouncing from one thing to another to another. She, if you look at her Outlook calendar, she's overbooked. Like, she has three things going on from 11 to 12. And she's 
She's somehow at all of them at the same time. She is so quick to move and do what she needs to do in order to set things up. And you can see why she's a blue and in this regard. doing it flawlessly. Yes. And I don't just mean that in appearance, but also that. She, she, like, she bounces from this meeting with Loyal. And obviously, that's a big step. They are about to do something that... Is, after she just blackmailed Leandrin hard yeah. and shut that down, and then quickly changes over to interact with Loyal. It's a very West Wing moment with Lan too, where she's like, how's he doing? And Lan's like, oh, he's in a really good mood. And she's like, good. Pushes the door open. I and can she, work with that. And she's like, hello, Builder. So it is so good. Yes. And the way that she handles everything, like she knows she has such little time to pull it together and does it in a way that is not frazzled, that she still has some semblance of control over in so much as she can. And the little machinations that she can work, even though everything else may be working against her, happens and she pulls it off. She brings these two to the Amarillin. We get a nice, is it an Easter egg? Is that the right term for something that's referenced a lot in the books and we see it on the screen and it's given no airtime at all except to be there in the background? Yes. Yeah. Right. We get the Amarillin's box of secrets sitting on her desk and it's just a box. But when you go through the books and you're like, oh, har har, so much information is kept in there and it's warded so that only she can open it. And if someone else tries to, the whole thing goes up in flame. Yes. So that was fun. Um, she's very relaxed and like she tries to start conversational. Like that's the tack that she takes with Egwene and Nynaeve. And Nynaeve is like, stop blowing smoke up her ass. Yeah. And poor Egwene is just sitting there like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm, tr I'm trying to make a good impression here, and you're ruining this for yeah. me. But then the Amarillin transforms into steel, and you well, get this leadership moment of, like, I get it, you think you have your life planned out, and the pattern has something different. And guess what? The pattern doesn't care what you want, and just drops that hammer. This is what you need to do. And I really like the moment where she's like, you are the most powerful channeler in a thousand years. And Egwene's like, oh, that's so nice. And she's like, Nynaeve. And the name is like, like, you must have low standards. Yes. And Egwene was fully prepared to be like, I'm so flattered. Thank you. <laughs> I knew I was really powerful when I threw that wisp of thing at that white cloak and it barely burst on him. I mean, to be fair, she is a quick study. Yes. And she... I thought it was a very cute moment for the character. Where yes. she's just like, oh, I'm, oh Is my. And then to find out that you're second fiddle. Yep. To be fair, she and eventually Elaine will be more powerful than anyone in the tower, except for Nynaeve, who is a step above them, even. Yep. But she... And there are limits to that, which we haven't really gotten into. No, we haven't talked about her block. Yeah, so what... Uh, I'm interested to see how Nynaeve being such a powerful channeler is balanced out in the series. Yes. Because we, have, we haven't gotten any dialogue about that yet. Uh, well, we haven't seen really her even try to channel on her own. No. She's never willingly done it that we've seen in the show yet. Which is a big difference from the books in that A, 
all of the ASDI in that camp should have sensed her ability to channel. Like, you, it's like a power radar that they have. Mm -hmm. to be like, oh, that direction, that far away is someone. And it sort of also retcons that Nynaeve was channeling well before this. Like, it, that shouldn't have been her first time in the cave. It should have been a few other times mm -hmm. where she healed someone and somehow survived the fact that she's a wilder and touched the power without any sort of guidance as to how to do it safely. So. After this little chat. I love the chat. It's just so good. And. Oh, so amazing. There, anyway. And it's one of those scenes that really builds the world. They spend a couple minutes doing it, but it is making everything more full. Yes. In terms of the storytelling. And it, usually first seasons, especially a fantasy series, you uh, are rushing through a whole lot of stuff to make sure that you're drawing the viewer in and it's tons of action and you it's one thing to another to another to another sort of storyline wise. Mm -hmm. And this series, I think, is different. They're spending a whole episode on this is really a character episode. Yeah, we follow her throughout the day. Like, there is no B-plot or C-plot. It is all Moraine all the time. And how she goes throughout these two days in the tower. And she, because she does a lot. Yeah, it's, she's packing a lot in. But at its core, it's world building. Yes. And I appreciate that they're spending an eighth of this season on... 12.5%. Yes, on just fleshing this out and giving us more background mm -hmm. and making us appreciate what's to come. And there are, yes, all of that. And yes, the fun Easter eggs are nice moments as well. And even the questioning, like, is it traveling? Is it a Terangriel? But then in the ambulance quarters, we see the exact same picture frame, different image, which makes sense mm -hmm. that Maureen's is like a woman looking over a castle balcony like, possibly from in Carahian, or Sawan's, where it's like a fishing boat scene mm -hmm. in Tyr. So it's like a, for anyone walking in, they would just notice the image. They wouldn't necessarily notice the frame is the same. Yes. So that might explain the ability to travel by using this thing. So, such a good scene. And then we go back to the hall and Maureen's penance. And it's serious. Yeah, it's judgment time. And you can see, even on Leanne, who is like all business, all the time, super efficient, well, in the books. We don't necessarily get this from the show, because she's keeping control of the of the hall, pounding her staff and doing announcements. Yeah, and the actress, I found her account on Instagram. She posted some behind-the-scenes pictures, and it's so weird, because you see Kate Fleetwood full... Leandrin gear just sitting in her chair off to the side off camera on her phone and you're like this is so odd like, <laughs> like this this red sister just on her iphone in between scenes it's not an iphone it's a triangle okay <laughs> and so leanne is there even she looks uncomfortable with what's about to happen because she knows like there's a hammer, and it's coming down hard on someone. And it's another blue. And so 
the Amulet announces her judgment as exile, which is something that she and Maureen had set up as like, you need to send me away because I cannot be trapped in the tower. Yeah, if if you don't send me away, there will be no way for me to get out of the tower with legitimate cause right, right now. It would be the there, end of the fieldwork. Half of this mission, which is a pretty big half. Yeah, like the politics are so bad in the tower that I would need to remain here as a blue. Like, one of the blue sitters has already said, you need to be here. There is a stuff going down. Yep. It is your job right now to be here to help support us. So Moraine and Suan worked out exile which is not what Megan had arranged with the Amerlin, and you can see that shock on her face. And to sort of dispel any images of, oh, this woman who was out of the tower, oh, now she's going to be out of the tower more. The fact that she has to accept it by swearing an oath on the oath rod, which... So what... Context. Yeah. The Oathrod is a Turangriel from the Age of Legends. Fun fact, it was used on criminals way back when. But when Arthur Hawkwing had conquered the world and laid siege to Tarvalon, the three O's, as we learned in episode two, were how the Aesodai were able to negotiate their way out of it, where they would not lie, they would not create weapons of power, and they would not use the power as a weapon. Yes. And that's and to enforce it, they use the oath rod where you physically cannot do those things, even if you want to. You cannot weasel your way out of an oath. It is physically part of you. And it's sort of described as like settling into your skin. Your skin is slightly too tight when you first get it. Which, fun fact. Leanne, uh, Suan, and Maureen had pranked an Aesodai right before they were raised, and so they had gotten basically whipped or spanked, partially. And so when they took their O's, it was not a pleasant experience for them mm. to sit after that. And there's no way around it. You physically cannot. So Suan announces or the oath that Maureen is supposed to repeat. Before we get there, what is exile? You are out of the tower. It's sort of implied that you're disconnected from any of your resources from the tower. Like, Maureen seems to have an endless supply of gold because True. she has connections to the tower and the tower resources. But if that's cut off while you're in exile, like, it's worse than being sort of banished to the work farm where right. you're treated so, like a novice. All so there's again. banished versus exile. Exile, you are still a full sister. You're expected to keep doing your work. But you're basically doing it without those resources. You are off on your own, doing your Aes Sedai work, but... And you're expected to still contribute. So, uh, for a blue, as she comes across things, she still is to bound to send it in. Banished is where you are being yeah, forced like to work. Like, yeah. you are off on a farm, and it's like, okay, have fun growing turnips for two years, because this is your punishment. Yes. And this going from an Aes Sedai down to like being treated like a novice is seen... It's not like the appearance is worse than actually doing it. Like, if you have become an Aes Sedai, like, you're used to scrubbing pots. Mm -hmm. But for someone having paid their dues and having been raised to the shawl to have to go do that, that's not great. So you, you sort of, like, go to the farm, do your work, and then come back. 
and you're still a part of the tower. You still have access to tower resources and your Aja and everything in that piece, but exile is worse. So they arrange this. Moraine skirts the system. She sort of starts what Suan had told her to say and then turns it into basically swear to honor and obey Suan Sanch, whereas the words ahead of it were the Amerlin seat to accept the judgment of the Amerlin seat instead of accept the judgment of Suan Sanch. And well, it's not even accepting the judgment of Suan Sanch, it's honor and obey Suan Sanch. So it's more like a marriage oath than I accept this punishment handed down to and me. And you view it as something that is more romantically colored. I view absolutely it because she goes, she gives Suan's other names like. Daughter of the River, Clever as a Pike, Strong as a Tide. They touch fingers underneath the rod where no one else can see as like a... I, this is as public as possible for to have any sort of physical sign of my affection for you. I, so in the moment, it's very affectionate marriage proposal oath. I think, I think it's colored by that. I think that there is a deeper, more political m- motivation behind it where... Things are tenuous. She's balanced on a knife's edge in terms of her leadership. Suwan. Yes. So Suwan is in a pretty shaky position as the leader of this society. I think that they both recognize this, and Moraine changed it so that she is still tied to Suwan and not the position of the Amarlin seat. Because if Sawan isn't the Amarlin seat, she doesn't have to be at the beck and call. She doesn't have to wait until a different Amarlin calls her back. She can be called back by an individual, not a position. And that individual is Suwan. So if Suwan needs her in terms of an ally or help, she can make that call. But she doesn't necessarily need to be Amarlin. To make that call. I see it as a side bonus where rather than the main thing. So like romance to me is the main dish and the dessert is that it gives Maureen an out in case Suwan is deposed and there's a new Amarlin who tells her to do something. Because she would have to obey that new Amarlin regardless of what Aja she had come from, the new Amarlin, or no matter what the new Amarlin was saying to have her do. So for... I don't know. I still think it's more romantic than political, but it does open the door for a political outlet and a bonus to be able to still do what she needs to do. So she that how she changes the oath is super low under her breath. Only Suan can hear until the end where she's like, my creator turn away from me and my soul be consumed by darkness. Like So that the beginning matched and the end matched for everyone else who could hear it. So it's very performative in that way, but the substance was super low, so only Suan could hear. So again, part of that, like, we have to put on a scene mm-hmm. for everyone. But yeah. And so we see some Klingon style shunning. Yeah. After this, the sitters all turn their back. Moraine works her way out of the chamber. And we see our gang of reds and uh, some friendly greens. Um, 
And Alana's there, and Alana makes is, a face. She is so sad. Yeah. And we have, which is the face that she makes. Yes. Earlier, she basically makes a face at Leandrin. So after, previously, after the judgment, like, come back tomorrow for your sentencing meeting in the hall, Alana and Leandrin and Maureen leave the hall, and Alana is slipped a little snack from her warder because he's very thoughtful that way, and he knew that she was hungry. <laughs> and I thought it was great. But Alana is also very good, or I'm sorry, she's not very good at hiding her feelings. Mm-hmm. And so, like, she basically makes faces at Leandrin from behind this pear that she's almost eating. And so, in this case, she makes a very sad face. It's another likable moment for Alana. Mm-hmm. So, it seems very sad. We get... Even prior to the judgment in the hall, we got a sad moment of Moraine looking out over the city. And there were trees, so that gave me hope that there was still the Great Grove in Tarvalon, the last surviving Great Grove, which might even be, have been why Loyal was there to begin with. Mm. But that... I, there's so much information. I get not wanting to put little things like that in because it would just would have been information overload. So the... we have these nice moments... Yeah, and it leads up to the last scene. Yeah. So we are at Away Gate, which is not how Away Gate is described. It is far different. It is so... Okay, this is where I have so many thoughts and feelings. Like, a lot of the changes that you would have to make going from a book to a TV series, like, I get it. And can work within it, even though there are things that I really were wanted to see and was hoping for. And if they change something, like, fine. Oh, they can chat, they can travel using a triangle instead of not being able to travel at all. Like, okay, I can work with that. Or we can conveniently forget about linking until we need to at the very end. Like, I can 90% forgive that. But to undo the wonderful backstory of the ways and to create it in such a bleh, way like it's just two ominous looking spikes like if this were set in lord of the rings you would be like oh that's from mordor because it's clearly evil and yucky looking rather than in the books instead of these two sort of spikes on a hilltop the way gates are like it's like a stone wall covered with carvings of vines and flowers you move a leaf the from the tree of life So you'd have to know what that looks like to move it. But then it's like a big door swings out when, even though it's just a wall and a portal is revealed with like a event horizon. Yes. There's like a membrane. Yeah. Somewhat like Stargate, only more dark and ominous. And the context for the ways is that on an Ogier steading, you cannot sense, feel, channel anything with the one power. So after the War of the Power, after the Dark One's taint has covered the male half of the power and all these men were going insane and rotting, the, a lot of them went to Steading to try and either wait it out or survive in some capacity. And they couldn't do it for long because channeling the power is so life-affirming. They couldn't live without it. But in thanks to the ogre, they created the ways. So instead of 
Ogier having to go on these very long treks in between studying, they created these way gates just outside when they could still have access to the power. And it's sort of like all these bridges and then there'd be like an island where a bunch of bridges would come together and be like a signpost and say, that's studying that direction. So the Ogier could move in between. The islands were pretty. There were like orchards. You could take a nap, munch an apple from a tree that was growing on an island there. And travel in just a few days would have taken you months. And Ogier don't like being away from steading for too long. It's not good for their health. So there's this wonderful rich backstory for the ways and the way gates. And I think and, we'll I think we're gonna get that next episode. They're not they have an Ogier with them who's going to tell them a story. And he does love stories and he does love his fun facts. Yes. But structurally it's so different. Like the top of the portal is just hanging out there. There's not no cap on it. And Maureen uses the power to activate it. And in my head, I'm just like, no, it's not. It was created by the power, but it doesn't need the power because it was created for the Ogier and the Ogier can't channel. That's not a thing that they do. And so why would you create a way gate that required the power when the people it was made for can't use it? Mm -hmm. Like that really bothered me. Um, And uh, they also send the horses away. Which is not fully necessary. And the explanation is they wouldn't survive. And even in the books, it was like, when you pass through that membrane, like, part of you goes faster than the other, so it's sort of like stepping on a step that isn't there. But if the horses were able to do it, it was fine. Um, so the horses, with all their tack, with all their supplies, run off in the distance into the sunset. Yep. And... Our, we did have a nice moment of Moraine and Lan saying goodbye to their horses. That's true. That was a sweet moment. So then they go through, and, like, I'm fine with the images within the ways that matches with the book. Like It's, it's very pop- scary. There's some scary lightning. There, we, The we, stonework is crumbling and pocked. And eventually we'll learn why, and I'm sure that that... Yeah. I'm hoping that matches we up. We also get some Jason Voorhees sounds... Um, you wouldn't have caught it because you've only seen one Friday the 13th movie, but Correct. there was some... I think that Jason is in the ways. And, it, and there is the... I will get to it, just like you referenced. There's a version of a serial killer in the ways that's not an actual person, and it's not wearing a hockey mask, which the sound effect is very misleading in that regard. I mean, misleading in that there's no mask, but it does fit for Match and Sin, Shin... To have that yeah. um, sound effect. So yeah, that was my woolhead moment of how they did the ways dirty. Mm. And my thoughts and feelings on that. And like, I wanted I wanted a crumbling wall with some vines and flowers. It would have served the same effect. May not have been as visually stunning when not activated. But I feel like the payoff when it is activated would have made up for, like, why are we at this crumbly wall? It's not interesting. Mm. And And even if you just enter it and give the backstory in the next episode, it would have been worth it. I don't know. That's that's my feeling. You have a lot of thoughts on this. I do. Um, do. The only other remaining beat that we haven't covered is that Matt doesn't go into the ways with them. No. And Dude makes a joke of, like, har har, can I change my mind now? And we're like, okay, Matt, whatever. And he's serious. He doesn't walk in, and the portal closes, and he's just left on a hill. 
with all these horses. Yeah. Actually, not the horses. The horses have already run off into yeah. the sunset by now. And so in the books, a big deal is made of the three Taverin, Matt, Rand, and Perrin, and that by their powers combined, they can sort of repel the Dark One or the Dark One's machinations, as, as long as the three of them are together. And when they sort of bring up, oh, the five instead of the three, it's like, great, like, Egwene and Nynaeve should also be Taverin. Like, mm -hmm. they can make a big deal out of this. Yep. A Taverin sort of, the pattern warps around them. Sometimes in a way that the person clearly wants, but then other ways that benefit the person. They just don't realize it at the time. Like, poor Varen, my girl Varen, gets stuck in this town and, like, it snows, it rains. Like, she just can't leave this town. Like, things keep happening until Matt shows up and she's like, oh, well, that's why I couldn't leave. I had to stick around here until you showed up so I could, like, join your vortex of mm -hmm. events. So I was like, great, they'll be all five. Like, instead of a three-legged stool, it's a five-legged stool. Like, they all need to be doing their thing to get a satisfactory outcome. But now with Matt left behind, I don't know how they're going to all come back together again. Yeah. Are, well, they, are they just giving up on the Taverinness and that aspect where you need all of them doing their thing together in the same spot to repel the Dark One? I don't know. Yeah, and we have seen how they're shifting locations around and certain events around within yes. the season. And we're still going to get what they have skipped over for now, um, we think. So I'm interested to see what they do with Matt in the next two episodes. Do the, does Moraine just open the portal and she's like, get in here now at right. the beginning of next episode? It could happen. So, yeah, you've said your Woolhead of the week. Whoever made the, the ways that way. I think my... Ways capital W. There we go. My Woolhead of the week... It might be Leandrin again. That's an easy one. She's such an easy pick. Just like Matt is an easy pick for this episode. Oh. For being a wolfhead. Um, or Rand being a dick. But that's also on brand for him, so. Yeah. Um, it's very hard to pick. Uh, Leandrin, I think I might settle on her. For trying to make yet another power play and failing. Um... And just being so nasty. I'm she maybe she deserves her own categorization as like the meanest person on this show. And she'll get it every week. Yeah. Um she is good. Like the fun side moments, like the Amarlin's box, Ivan sneaking a pair to Alana, like mm -hmm. the show has so many of those like small nice touches that sort of round out the world it's more polished and refined to me in that way when they do those things so maybe that's my like counterpoint maybe my woolhead is Loghain oh I, you've already uh, had the power taken away from you and you're in front of this world leader and you're railing against her and you're her prisoner and then you end up sobbing and being like, please, just kill me. Yeah. Uh, well, she's not going to do that. You just insulted her for a solid few minutes in front of her council. So, yeah. bad move, dude. 
you uh, you should have just maybe tried to find a way to make your life better if it's possible. Yeah. The pattern may demand that he stick around Harvalon for a while. So. Yeah. I'm trying to not spoil things. Well, thanks. Yes. Um, other fun things, like the tower, the hall of the tower was great. Yeah, and... you can see where it where levels up you for big gatherings. You could have a lot of sisters pack in yeah. on those upper levels. And having the sitters there and like the politics of it and they all like the diversity of clothing options and women the like cultures the, represented by the dress yes and hair and skirts versus pants and and giant head coverings or like shoulder pads romulan's shoulder pads are coming back in fashion yeah. apparently um the browns looking super frumpy on brand yeah and the gray, I don't know. I want to, I've always wanted to know more about like the grounds and the grays. Mm. All right. So uh, next episode is our penultimate episode. It's going to set up the season finale. Yeah. So uh, it's hard right now, even as people, I've recently read all of the first few books. You have a sharp memory and can remember everything about them. Sometimes. <laughs> um. So I don't know what to expect at this point. I don't even know, and I was talking with you, I was talking with my friend Mickey, where they're going to end the season. What is that hook that's going to establish it? Because back in the day, before Dallas and Who Shot JR, seasons never had cliffhangers because they knew the viewers would be back anyway. But especially in this era of streaming... You really want to end a season with a hook so that you get those streamers back when the next season rolls out. It's more important, I think, even than broadcast back in the 80s where they introduced the concept. Because back then you had three channels that you would watch every night. You had CBS, NBC, or ABC. That was it. Well, uh, PBS. And but... PBS, but also PBS wasn't producing the same type of entertainment content it was it was upstairs downstairs it wasn't downtown abbey yes it was very specific content so um and you also didn't have public broadcasting that covered like the three majors i mean oh yeah um so you had the three major networks and they were competing for a lot of viewers so if you look at ratings back then even really crappy episodes and what they considered was an unsuccessful series that they would cancel had millions more people watching them every single week than what we consider a successful TV series now. Yeah, the pie was a lot bigger and you got a bigger slice. Yep. So they, looking back at it retrospectively, you didn't really need a cliffhanger because it, you couldn't fit one of those whole seasons into the summer for reruns. Um, you were producing 25, 30 episode seasons. So in that downtime in the summer... You couldn't run an entire series to catch someone and hook new viewers in. It'd be like, you should care about this. And oh, this repeat of the season finale. Well, next week is our brand new premiere episode for next season. So yeah, you excited your current viewers. It didn't really get you anything new. This, you really need it. Because you're competing for a much smaller slice of a much 
I, I would argue it's an even larger pie. You, like, you have a buffet of pies at this point that people can choose from. And each pie has tiny little slices, which are current shows. Mm. And you need to make sure that your viewers are returning and that they can easily be hooked in. So we have shorter seasons now for a number of reasons. The writer's strike in the mid-2000s was a big motivator because they had much shorter seasons that season and they saw that they could survive, that they didn't need 25 episodes. And I remember watching Desperate Housewives during that season and it was so much shorter, but you still got a lot of good content out of it. The second reason is budget. They're pouring basically a bazillion dollars it look a at wheel of time Brazilian. yeah like look at what wheel of time is and what it looks like by the end of the season we will have roughly eight hours of content which is an hour short of the entire lord of the rings cinematic trilogy theatrical version not the expanded mm-hmm. editions but if you think about it we're just getting eight hours of content out of this we're getting which is mind-boggling because there, we're getting there's like, so much in the world to have it squished into those eight hours is incredible. And so where do they end? We're thinking as someone who read this, what are they going to do to end this so they have a dramatic, emotional, some sort of hook at the end where people can binge this in the next year? We don't know when the next season is. No. But we know they're already filming it, so and based on the success, they're probably going to keep trying to roll this out at least every nine months from season end to season begin. I really wish we could have had 25 episodes of this. It's so good. Um, and, 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 there saying, are, and that being said. There are a couple options for them to end on, but we only have two episodes, and it would take them... A lot of effort in terms of writing gymnastics to get to some of those points. Yeah. So we know that they just entered the ways. So that ways is at least half, if not the entire episode seven. And we know from the trailers that they get to Faldara, this sort of last outpost in Shinar, in the far northeast corner of the world, where it, it's the doorstep of the waste. Yeah. Uh, the blight. The blight. The, yes. Like, it's the outer edge. There's still Trolloc attacks. Like, it's a major fortress for Shinar to defend its people from Trollocs coming down out of the Blight, which is, like, the planned version of the corruption on that Sadine has on men. So, like, there'll be blisters and pustles and, like, these very diseased-looking plants that are sort of half-rotting, half-living. So that's all because of the Dark One's prison being in the very far north of this land. And so the Blight is that buffer zone, and then after the Blight is where people live again. But Faldor is, like, very close to that. Um, so we know that'll be included. But how much of it? Yeah, are we gonna... We know that there were catching announcements for some of the people who live in Faldara. Yeah, which, by the way... For season two. Yeah, Super exciting. We're not going to go into casting announcements, because even after the season ends, we're going to still... Put out some episodes. Right. And so, you know, they'll get there. Like, will they reach the Eye of the World? Will they, will they still be in the Blight? Will they... Will the events that happen at the Eye of the World happen? Or do they just show up and there's a surprise and that's the hook? So, 
I'm sort of leaning towards that. Like it gives a, enough space for the ways and the blight to have their moments and still leave it on a cliffhanger of bum bum bum. Yeah. It, no matter which way they go, it's going to be a pack two episodes. They're going to have to put a lot of world building into it and also a lot of story. I think. Which we, they have balanced really well. Yes. And. I think that they're going to continue doing that. It's just a lot. And we saw that this episode was over an hour. So I can see them needing that much time for the next two episodes as well. Right. I don't think we'll get sort of that slump before the big finale. I think both episodes will be amazing. Yeah. Because this one was also amazing. I agree. All right, everyone. So let us know what your thoughts are. We are on Instagram at Two Rivers Two Takes. And uh, make sure to rate, review, subscribe. Leave comments. What did you love about this episode? What Aja would you want to be a part of? And what was your Willhead of the Week? Yeah. So let us know. And then we will be back here next week with the review of the seventh episode. So until then, everyone, see you later. Take care.